Welcome to Fast Asleep. You're here to forget everything. And we can help with that. 1938, Lockport, New York. That's the time and birthplace of Joyce Carol Oates, an O. Henry and National Book Award winner. She also was awarded the National Humanities Medal in 1970. Miss Oates allows the forces of a hurricane to control this short story's narrative, so uh, you better hang on. Oh, of course, tuck in and enjoy. Part one of Upon the Sweeping Flood. One day in Eden County, in the remote marsh and swamplands to the south, a man named Walter Stewart was stopped in the rain by a sheriff's deputy along a country road. Now, Stewart was in a hurry to get home to his family, his wife and two daughters, after having endured a week at his father's old farm, arranging for his father's funeral, surrounded by aging relatives who had sucked at him for the strength of his youth. He was a stern, quiet man of 39, beginning now to lose some of the muscular hardness that had always baffled others, masking, as it did, Stuart's remoteness, his refinement, his faith in discipline and order that seemed to have belonged, even in his youth, to a person already grown safely old. He was a district vice president for one of the gypsum mining plants, a man to whom financial success and success in love had come naturally without fuss. When only a child, he had shifted his faith with little difficulty from the unreliable God of his family's tradition to the things and emotions of this world which he admired in his thoughtful, rather conservative way. And this faith had given him access, as if by magic, to a communion with persons vastly different from himself. With someone like the sheriff's deputy, for example, who approached him that day in the hard, cold rain. Is something wrong? Stuart said. He rolled down the window and had nearly opened the door when the deputy, an old man with gray eyebrows and a slack, sunburned face, began shouting against the wind. Just the weather, mister. You plan on going far? How far are you going? Two hundred miles, Stuart said. What about the weather? Is it a hurricane? Mm, a hurricane, yes. A hurricane, the man said, bending to shout at Stuart's face. You better go back to town and stay put. They're evacuating up there. We're not letting anyone through. A long line of cars and pickup trucks tarnished and gloomy in the rain, passed them on the other side of the road. How bad is it? 
said Stuart. Do you need help? Back at town, maybe they need help, the man said. They're putting up folks at the schoolhouse and the churches and different families. The eye was supposed to come by here, but last word we got, it's veered further south. Just the same, though. Yes, it's good to evacuate them, Stuart said. At the back window of an automobile passing them, two children's faces peered out at the rain, white and blurred. The last hurricane here. Oh, anyway, leave off of that. The old man said that so harshly that Stuart felt inexplicably hurt. Anyway, you better turn around and get on back to town. You got money, they can put you up somewhere's good. Not with these folks coming along here. This was said without contempt, but Stuart flinched at its assumptions. And years afterward, he was to remember the old man's remark at the beginning of his adventure. The man's twisted face and unsteady, jumping eyes, his wind-snatched voice, would reappear to Stuart when he puzzled for reasons. But along with the, stu- with the deputy's face, there would be that sad line of cars, the children's faces turned toward him and beyond them in his memory. The face of his dead father, with skin wrinkled and precise as a withered apple. I'm going in to see if anybody needs help, Stuart said. He had the car going again before the deputy could even protest. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing, Stuart said. The car lunged forward into the rain, drowning out the deputy's outraged shouts. The slashing of rain against Stuart's face excited him. Faces staring out of oncoming cars were pale and startled, and Stuart felt rising in him a strange compulsion to grin and laugh madly at their alarm. He passed cars for some time. Houses looked deserted, yards bare, Things had the look of haste about them, even trees, in haste to rid themselves of their leaves, to be stripped bare. Grass was twisted and wild. A ditch by the road was overflowing, and at spots the churning muddy water stretched across the red clay road. Stuart drove, splashing through it. After a while, his enthusiasm slowed. His foot eased up on the gas pedal. He had not passed any cars or trucks for some time. The sky had darkened and the storm had increased. Stuart thought of turning back when he saw a short distance ahead someone Standing in the road, a car approached from the opposite direction. Stuart slowed, bearing to the right. He came upon a farm, a small, run-down one, with just a few barns and a small pasture 
in which a horse stood drooping in the rain. Behind the roofs of the buildings, a shifting edge of foliage from the trees beyond curled in the wind, now dark, now silver. In a neat, harsh line against the bottom of the buildings, the wind had driven up dust and red clay. Rain streamed off roofs, plunged into fat, tilted rain barrels, and exploded back out of them. As Stuart watched, another figure appeared, running out of the house. Both persons, they looked like children, jumped about in the road, waving their arms. A spray of leaves was driven against them and against the muddy windshield of the car that approached and passed them. They turned, a girl and a boy, waving their fists in rage, their faces white and distorted. As the car sped past Stuart, water and mud splashed up in a vicious wave. When Stuart stopped and opened the door, the girl was already there, shouting, Go in the wrong way! Wrong way! Her face was coarse, pimply about her forehead and chin. The boy pounded up behind her, straining for air. Where the hell are you going, mister? The girl cried. The storm's coming from this way. Did you see that guy? Going right by us. Did you see him? If I see him when I get to town. A wall of rain struck. The girl lunged forward and tried to push her way into the car. Stuart had to hold her back. Where are your folks? He shouted. Let me in, cried the girl savagely. We're getting out of here. Your folks, said Stuart. He had to cup his mouth to make her hear. Your folks in there? There ain't nobody in there. Damn you she said, twisting about to slap her brother, who'd been pushing at her from behind. She whirled upon Stuart again. You letting us in, mister? You letting us in? She screamed, raising her hands, as if to claw him. But Stuart's sighs must have calmed her, for she shouted hoarsely and mechanically, There ain't nobody in there. Our pa's been gone for the last two days. I said last two days. Gone into town by himself. Gone drunk somewhere. He ain't here. He left us. He left us here. Again, she rushed at Stuart, and he leaned forward against the steering wheel to let her get in back. The boy was about to follow when, oh, something caught his eye back at the farm. Get in, said Stuart. Get in, please, get in. My horse there, the boy muttered. Oh, you little jerk. You get in here, his sister screamed. But once the boy got in, once the door was closed, Stuart knew it was just too late. Rain struck the car in solid walls, and the road 
when he could see it, had turned to mud. Let's go! Let's go! cried the girl, pounding on the back of his seat. Turn it around! Go up on our drive and turn it around! The engine and the wind roared together. Turn it! Get it going! cried the girl. There was a scuffle, and someone fell against Stuart. It ain't no good, the boy said. Let me out. He lunged for the door, and Stuart grabbed him. I'm going back to the house, the boy cried, appealing to Stuart with his frightened eyes. And his sister, giving up suddenly, pushed him violently forward. It's no use, Stuart said. Damn fool, the girl screamed. Damn fool. The water was ankle deep as they ran to the house. The girl splashed ahead of Stuart, running with her head up and her eyes wide open in spite of the flying scud vapor. When Stuart shouted to the boy, his voice was slammed back to him as if he were being mocked. Where are you going? Go to the house. Go to the house. The boy had turned and was running toward the pasture. His sister took no notice but ran to the house. Come back, kid, Stuart cried. Wind tore at him, pushing him. What are you? The horse. The horse was undersized, skinny and brown. It ran to the boy as if it wanted to run him down. But the boy, stooping through the fence, avoided the frightened hoofs and grabbed the rope that dangled from the horse's halter. That's it. That's it, Stuart shouted as if the boy could hear. At the gate, the boy stopped and looked around wildly up to the sky. He might have been looking for someone who had just called him. And then he shook the gate madly. Stuart reached the gate and opened it, pushing it back against the boy who now turned to gape at him. What? What are you doing here? He said. The thought crossed Stuart's mind that the child was insane. Bring the horse through, he said. We don't have much time. What are you doing here? The boy shouted. The horse's eyes rolled, its mane lifted and haloed above its head. Suddenly, it lunged through the gate and jerked the boy off the ground. The boy ran in the air, his legs kicking Oh, hang on, hang on and bring him round, Stuart shouted. Let me take hold. He grabbed the boy instead of the rope. They stumbled together against the horse, and it had stopped now, and was looking intently at something just to the right of Stuart's head. The boy pulled himself along the rope, hand over hand, and Stuart held on to him by the scrap of his overalls. He's scared of you, the boy said. He's scared of you. 
Stuart reached over and took hold of the rope above the boy's fingers and tugged gently at it. His face was about a foot away from the horse's. Watch out for him, said the boy. The horse reared and broke free, throwing Stuart back against the boy. Hey, hey, screamed the boy as if mad. The horse turned in midair as if whirled about by the wind, and Stuart looked up through his fingers to see hoofs and a vicious flicking of its tail, and the face of the boy being yanked past him and away with incredible speed. The boy fell heavily on his side in the mud, arms outstretched above him, hands still gripping the rope with wooden fists. But he scrambled to his feet at once and ran alongside the horse. He flung one arm up around its neck as Stuart shouted, Let him go! Forget about him! Horse and boy pivoted together back toward the fence, slashing wildly at the earth, feet and hoofs together. The ground erupted beneath them. The boy landed upright, still holding the rope, still with his arm about the boy's neck. Let me help, Stuart said. No, said the boy. He's my horse and he knows me. Have you got him good? Stuart shouted. We got, we got each other the boy cried, with his eyes shut tight. Stuart went to the barn to open the door. While he struggled with it, the boy led the horse forward. When the door was open far enough, Stuart threw himself against it and slammed it around to the side of the barn. A cloud of hay and scud filled the air. Stuart stretched out his arms as if pleading with the boy to hurry. And he murmured, come on, please, come on. The boy did not hear him or even glance at him. His own lips were moving as he caressed the horse's neck and head. The horse's muddy hoof had just begun to grope about the step before the door when, oh, something like an explosion came against the back of Stuart's head, slammed his back, and sent him sprawling out at the horse. Damn you! Damn you! The boy screamed. Stuart saw nothing except rain, and then something struck him, his shoulder and hand and his fingers were driven down into the mud. Something slammed beside him in the mud, and he seized it, the horse's foreleg, and tried to pull himself up, insanely lurching to his knees. The horse threw him backwards. It seemed to emerge out of the air before and above him, coming into sight as though out of a cloud. The boy he did not see at all, only the hoofs. And then the boy appeared, inexplicably, under the horse, peering intently at Stuart, 
his face struck completely blank. Damn you, Stuart heard. He's my horse, my horse, and I hope he kills you. Stuart crawled back in the water, crab fashion, watching the horse form and dissolve, hearing its vicious tattoo against the barn. The door, swinging madly back and forth, parodied the horse's rage. It seemed to challenge its frenzy. Then the door was all Stuart heard, and he got to his feet, gasping, mm, to see that the horse was out of sight. The boy ran against the wind out of n nowhere, and Stuart ran after him. Come in the house, kid. Come on. Forget about it, kid. And he grabbed the boy's arm. The boy struck at him with his elbow. He was my horse, he cried. In the kitchen of the house, they pushed furniture against the door. Now, Stuart had to stand between the boy and girl to keep them from fighting. Damn sniffling fool, said the girl. So your damn horse run off for the night. The boy crouched down on the floor, crying steadily. He was about 13, small for his age, with bony wrists and face. We're all going to be blunk to hell, let alone your horse, the girl said. She sat with one big thigh and leg outstretched on the table, watching Stuart. He thought her perhaps 18. Glad you come down to get us, she said. Where are you from, mister? Stuart's revulsion surprised him. He had not supposed there was room in his stunned mind for emotion of this sort. If the girl noticed it, she gave no sign, but only grinned at him. I was, uh, I was on my way home, he said. My wife and daughters. It occurred to him that he had forgotten about them entirely. He had not thought of them until now. And even now, no image came to his mind. No woman's face, no little girl's faces. Could he have imagined their lives, their love for him? For an instant, he doubted everything. Wife and daughters, said the girl, as if wondering whether to believe him. Are they in the storm, too? No, no, Stuart said. To get away from her, he went to the window. He could no longer see the road. Something struck the house, and he flinched away. Ah, them trees, chortled the girl. I knew it. Pa always said he ought to cut them down. So close to the house like they are. I knew it. I knew it. And that old jerk, he's off safe now. Where they can't get him. Trees? Said Stuart slowly. Them trees. Old oak trees the girl. The boy, struck with fear, stopped crying suddenly. He cried.
crawled on the floor to a wood box beside the big old iron stove and got in, patting the disorderly pile of wood as if he were blind. The girl ran to him and pushed him. Oh, what are you doing? Stuart cried out in anguish. The girl took no notice of him. What am I doing? He said aloud. What the hell am I doing here? It seemed to him that the end would come in a minute or two, that the howling outside could get no louder, that the howling inside his mind could get no more intense, no more accusing. A fool, a damn fool, he thought. The deputy's face came to mind, and Stuart pictured himself groveling before that man, clutching at his knees, asking forgiveness, and for time to be turned back. Then he saw himself back at the old farm, the farm of his childhood, listening to tales of his father's agonizing sickness, the old people's heads craning around, seeing how he took it, their eyes charged with horror and delight. My wife and daughters, Stuart muttered. The wind made a hollow drum-like sound. It seemed to be tolling. The boy, crouching back in the wood box, shouted, I ain't scared. I ain't scared. The girl gave a shriek. Ah, oh, our chicken coop. I'll be damned, she cried. Try as he could, Stuart could see nothing out the window. Come away from the window, Stuart said, pulling the girl's arm. She whirled upon him. You watch yourself, mister, she said. You want to go out to your damn stupid worthless car? Her body was strong and big in her men's clothing. Her shoulders looked muscular beneath the filthy shirt. Cords in her young neck stood out. Her hair had been cut short and was now wet, plastered about her blemished face. She grinned at Stuart as if she were about to poke him in the stomach for fun. I ain't scared of what God can do, the boy cried behind him. When the water began to bubble up through the floorboards, they decided to climb to the attic. Oh, there's an axe, Stuart exclaimed. But the boy got on his hands and knees and crawled to the corner where the axe was propped before Stuart could reach it. The boy cradled it in his arms. What do you want with that? Stuart said. And for an instant, his heart was pierced with fear. Let me take it. I'll take it. He grabbed it out of the boy's dazed fingers. The attic was about half as large as the kitchen, and the roof jutted down sharply on either side. Tree limbs rubbed and slammed against the roof on all sides. 
the three of them crouched on the middle beam. Stuart, with the axe tight in his embrace, the boy pushing against him as if for warmth, and the girl kneeling with her thighs straining her overalls. She watched the little painless window at one end of the attic without much emotion or interest, like a large, wet turkey. The house trembled beneath them. I'm going to the window, Stuart said, and was oddly relieved when the girl did not sneer at him. He crawled forward along the dirty beam, dragging the axe with him, and lay full length on the floor about a yard from the window. There was not much to see. At times the rain relaxed, and objects beneath in the water took shape. Tree stumps, parts of buildings, junk whirling about in the water. The thumping on the roof was so loud at that end that he had to crawl backwards to the middle again. I ain't scared. Nothing God can do, the boy cried. Listen to the sniveling baby, said the girl. He thinks God pays him any mind. <laughs> Stuart crouched beside them, waiting for the boy to press against him again. As if God gives a damn about him, the girl said. Stuart looked at her. In the near dark, her face did not seem so coarse. The set of her eyes was almost attractive. You don't, you don't think God cares about you? Stuart said slowly. No, not specially, the girl said, shrugging her shoulders. The hell with it. You seen the last one of these? The last one? Hmm, she tugged at Stuart's arm. Mister, it was something to see. Me and Jackie, we was little then. Him just a baby. We drove a far ways north to get out of it. When we come back, the roads was so thick with sightseers from the cities. They took all the dead ones floating in the water and they put them in one place. Part of a swamp they cleared out. The families and things... They were mostly fruit pickers. Had to come by on rafts and rowboats to look and see. Could they find the ones they knew? That was there for a day. The bodies would turn round and round in the wash from the boats. And then the faces all got alike. And then they wouldn't let anyone come any more, and they put oil on them and set them afire. We stood on top of the car and watched all that day. I wasn't but nine then. When the house began to shake some time later, Stuart cried aloud, This is it! He stumbled to his feet, waving the axe. He turned around and around as if he were in a daze. You, you gonna chop something with that? The boy said, pulling at him. 
Hey, no, that ain't yours to, it ain't yours to chop. They struggled for the axe. The boy sobbed, it ain't yours, it ain't yours. And Stuart's rage at his own helplessness, at the folly of his being here, for an instant almost made him strike the boy with the axe. But the girl slapped him furiously. You get away from him. I swear I'll kill you, she screamed. 